Do you ever sign yourself up to something and then the moment before you have to do that thing, just really regret it? Oh, all the time. All the time. You know what? I just signed myself up to uh, seven days of early morning yoga. Huh. Interesting. I, I know I'm, I'm going to get there and I'm going to have to wake up at seven and I'm going to be like, mm, I, I don't want to do this. <laughs> you know what? You should just do like the Mark Wahlberg daily plan and then... You know, 7 a.m. yoga will be the middle of your day and it won't seem so bad. He wakes up at like four. Oh, he, yeah. He wakes up at like th- like three and does like 30 minutes of prayer followed by breakfast and then like an hour in the gym and then like s- second breakfast. He's a hobbit, basically. He's a hobbit who wakes up real early. If I could do that and look like Mark Wahlberg, I- I'd kind of be OK. Yeah. I mean, I think that Mark Wahlberg looks like that because he does that. So... There's a chance that, that that could happen. I also, you know, I follow The Rock on Instagram. Um, and uh, that dude works real hard. <laughs> like, he calls himself the hardest worker in the room. It's his workout regimen is bananas. But then once a week, he posts this picture of his cheat meal. And it's like 18 pounds of sushi and a stack of pancakes and four milkshakes. And it's it just looks incredible. Yeah, I, I I'm always aware of people that put a load of effort into into stuff like that and then i think ah if i could just be mediocre all the time i'm, I'm quite happy with that <laughs> you know what i always think whenever i see like his, his cheat meal in particular is like his <laughs> the next day must be incredible <laughs> <laughs> so uh did you did you see one password is giving a load of money uh to charity this year yes i love this we did this last year too uh and i think it was it was fifty thousand dollars that we gave to what was it a food bank last year yeah it's a bit more democratic this year we're um we're splitting it and and the people inside one password can vote between food banks uh the eff which is the electronic frontier foundation uh the united way which i'm i'm not really familiar with them i think they're canadian uh the canadian red cross and doctors without borders and the canadian association of mental health so everybody gets one vote and then uh we we mix it up between percentages oh which i like i like that no one is getting nothing like everyone will get a percentage i uh i actually went with the canadian association of mental health i did too ah yeah i i think it's you know it's a big issue in 2018 for sure and and let, let's be honest i don't know how far we're going to get through 2019 like I, talking about like england it's it's going pretty bad over here like people don't know what they're doing more than they didn't know what they were doing before <laughs> it's true hey listen talking uh from the position of someone whose country is going bad um it can always get worse okay it, it can always get worse but i feel like we're just one small catalyst away from just zombie apocalypse yeah i feel like that every black friday (laughs) so i mean basically my point is as we go into watchtower weekly it could be worse we could be australian (laughs) oh oh my god (laughs) i uh the the whole uh australian assistance and access law has been kind of dominating the nerd news lately yeah i don't think it's hit mainstream news because i don't think one we really understand the full extent of it and two i'm not sure kind of the mainstream media really knows how to report on it i think that that's completely true yeah also because there's no like concrete results from this it's not like uh, the australian government now has access to everyone's passwords that's not the case like there is no like tangible fallout from this my favorite quote from all this was from the pm 
uh, Malcolm Turnbull, and he said the laws of mathematics are very commendable, but the only laws that apply in Australia is the law of Australia. And I just thought that was brilliant that he kind of thinks like, yeah, but that doesn't apply here. It's almost a Trumpism. It, yeah. He read the like Donald Trump book to presidenting and is like, I can do this. It's not great. <laughs> <laughs> It doesn't show a brilliant understanding of the situation. It certainly does not. And let's let's be honest, he almost certainly doesn't understand the situation. So, okay, I want to kind of break this down a little bit. I uh, There's this great article on ZDNet. I believe the author's name is pronounced Stilgarian. He wrote up a great sort of breakdown of everything, very sort of common sense, factual breakdown without any of, of the sort of hyperbolic reactions that have existed in some places. And I wanted to sort of touch on bits and pieces of this. So this... Assistance and access law has three main parts. Um, under this law, the Australian government agencies can issue the three kinds of notices to to a company: uh, a technical assistance notice, a technical capability notice, and a technical assistance request. And it, those first two, the technical assistance notice and the technical capability notice, uh, those are kind of intertwined. Uh, so the technical assistance notice basically allows the government to compel a company to use some sort of interception quality that their uh, capability rather that already exists in their software. So if it is possible for you to to intercept traffic passing through your service and and report on it and analyze it and report on it, uh, this technical assistance notice would compel you to do so. Uh, the technical capability notice would compel you to basically be able to comply with technical assistance notices in the future. So if you don't currently have the ability to snoop on traffic coming through your service, you could be compelled to add that capability. And then the technical assistance requests are voluntary. They're not compelling you to do anything. This one is, it's a little bit more hazy. And I'll be quite honest with you, I don't even want to talk about this one too much today because I don't think that we know enough about it. <laughs> Which is kind of a strange thing for me to say because experts are saying this is the most dangerous of the three uh, because there's not a lot of oversight here. I don't really want to unpack this one too much because I think that this is where uh, the waters are sort of the muddiest in terms of what it means and and what it can you know what it can do. You know, I, as I read through this stuff, I think about of course, our service, right? Like 1Password. We've designed 1Password to be zero knowledge, right? Like we we don't have the keys to unlock people's data. No one at the company has the keys to unlock people's data. Everything is encrypted at rest, which means that it's it's encrypted uh, on our servers. It's encrypted before it's transmitted to us. The The transmission is encrypted. Uh, basically, it's, it's kind of the, the situation where we don't have the ability to do anything to sort of access or intercept people's data because we just don't have the keys. And there's language in the law that says a notice must not have the effect of A, requesting or requiring a designated communications provider. So we'll just say one password. So requesting or requiring one password to implement or build a systemic weakness or a systemic vulnerability into into their form of electronic protection, or B, uh, preventing one password from rectifying a systemic weakness or systemic vulnerability in the form of electronic protection. Uh, so right there, like I find that part of it fascinating. And again, like one thing I want to make clear, like you and I are not experts in in uh, what I would call technology law, uh, but we we're just going to speculate. Yeah, I mean it's it's very interesting that that's spelled out. You know, they cannot ask a provider to 
to build these things in if it essentially makes things weaker. It's very interesting, and I, I I'm also interested in in kind of other companies and and how they're kind of publicly dealing with this. It's been very speculative. Signal has a first of all a great pun in the title of their blog post: "Setback in the Outback." Oh, there's been so many Australian jokes. <laughs> I I really wanted to call ours "Troubles Down Under," but you know. <laughs> And they said, you know, Signal is a is designed in a such a way that the end-to-end encrypted contents of every message and voice and video call are protected by keys entirely inaccessible to us. And they were kind of debating this this whole thing as well as of like we cannot build into the system something like this. It, it just you know this is not how it's designed. Right. So it's pretty interesting. So I, I have kind of a controversial stance on this. Like as I've sort of read about this more and thought about this more, I have I have a, I have a controversial statement. Go for it. I think this law is actually a good thing because I believe that this is going to drive companies to build in more protections into their systems and to design them similar to how 1Password is designed or other services where there's sort of a zero knowledge setup in place. Because if I am reading this law correctly, as someone who does not know technology law in, uh, in Australia, the laws can't require you to, to build weaknesses into your system. And in our case, that's exactly what they would be doing. They would be coming to us and saying, like, we want you to add the ability for us to decrypt anyone's data with a set of keys, potentially, right? Uh, and we would say, no, that's a weakness. Like we would be introducing a weakness into our system. We can't do that. And if every technology provider sort of goes down that path of like, well, now we're just going to make sure that everything is end-to-end encrypted and we don't have the keys and, and all of our data is encrypted at rest, then that sort of makes everyone safer. The services that don't and sort of fall back in the other direction, that's a maybe a different conversation to have. But I, I think that on the whole, that this might improve everyone's setup. Yeah, I mean, I mean... I, I always find that these first drafts of the law kind of get heavily edited and, and heavily reported on. But actually, like what ends up being the version that, that is set for a long time is, is usually, you know, amended on a couple of times. So I, I think it's a case of, uh, of, of waiting and seeing and, and perhaps not knowing the full extent until people start using this. GDPR was, was another law where, you know, when it came in initially, we didn't quite know the full extent could have been used to kind of go after every little fish in the sea. And all they seem to be using it to do is go after Facebook. So (laughs) there was a, um, another interesting uh, article this, this week about uh, someone using a a 3d printed head to unlock an Android phone. Yeah. Uh, So Matt, you could actually take that bust of me that I sent you last Christmas and you could use it to unlock your Android phone. That's true, except uh, it needs to be real color. And uh, the full gold one that you sent me, I don't, I don't think will work. Well, okay. Well, at least I'm protected then. This is good. <laughs> that is true. It's interesting to see that the iPhone wasn't tricked by this. Um, I think it has something to do with true depth camera technology and, you know, the, the fact that it kind of bounces dots to scan your face uh, rather than, you know, some of the other ones that require, you know, lighting and angle. Personally, I'm more glad that they implemented the technology in that way because it means that I can unlock my phone in the dark. Oh, yeah, absolutely. It boggles my mind that, that other phone users can't do that. <laughs> I know. it's such. A, it seems like such an obvious thing. Like, what do you mean I have to be in the light in order for it to, to unlock? Like, that doesn't make any sense. And not just the light, but like actual 
lighted from from perhaps different directions yeah it's it's interesting that they kind of half implemented this and yeah i think it was probably pressure but uh samsung actually have a, a warning now your phone can be unlocked by someone or something that looks like you if you use facial recognition only this will be less secure than using a pattern pin or password and i i think it's it's very odd to implement technology and then have a load of caveats yeah can we just say that this is like just the crappiest way possible to take the quote-unquote high road in the future where it's like hey listen we told you that the thing that you were using wasn't safe you decided to use it anyway so it's not on us that your stuff got hacked give me give me a break like what just just awful it's just awful uh yeah and uh you know these these samsung phones have in the past been unlocked with just a photo as well so this uh this 3d model printed of his head yeah i'd like to think that he's got this on his uh, mantelpiece or something now <laughs> it cost 300 pounds and i was i was reading this and and i i knew the the british company that printed this weird life life size head and i was like do i need this 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 could be my wife's christmas present <laughs> i know i kind of like if i had this i would use it to scare my wife a hundred percent i want to uh make small versions of myself and hide myself around the house like the borrowers <laughs> so matt should we uh should we do a guest segment this week we should we have uh, we have graham cluley uh from grahamcluley.com among other and, things and smashing security podcast which is is kind of like ours but i i feel like they uh they hit the hard topics more than us <laughs> yeah and probably do it way better uh is, is my guess <laughs> it's hard to say if that's true or not because I'm not sure if if Smashing Security is a top 40 technology podcast like we are. We were there for a week. I I am. That's I think that might go on my gravestone. Yeah, no, that's that qualifies. We are a top 40 technology podcast. I I have had T-shirts made like you're getting one. So, uh, yeah, it's great. Um, we, we interviewed Graham uh, last week. It was a lot of fun. All right, so good morning. We have today Graham Cluley on. Graham, welcome to the show. Thank you for joining us. Hi, thank you very much for having me. It's great to be here. Yeah. Uh, can you tell folks a little bit about your background? What what might people know you from? Why, why are you here today? <laughs> why am I here? Um, I've been working in computer security since the early 1990s. I um, started off as a programmer. I was writing a uh, uh, a popular British antivirus program called Dr. Solomon's Antivirus Toolkit, which sadly no longer exists, but uh, was really, really good. And uh, then McAfee bought it. Uh, and I, I can't be responsible for anything which happened after that. <laughs> and then I worked for Sophos for many years, another uh, computer security company, uh, one which focused more on corporations. And uh, during that time, I stopped being a programmer and became someone who sort of went up on stage and talked about security threats and spoke to the media. And about five years ago, I started working for myself um, and I blog and I podcast and I do a bit of tap dancing and uh, just generally sort of gab about computer security and try and make it interesting and useful to people. That's awesome. Uh, so you've, you've been interviewed like a fair few times on the internet. So I wanted to take like a little bit of a different stance and, and okay. talk about the security industry and, and a little bit about kind of how you, you know, deal with the industry and, and things like that. So, I mean, since the decline of, of you know, something like IRC that was that was pretty prominent, uh, like how, how do you keep 
connected with the industry. Yeah, I mean, in the old days, a lot of it used to be done by mailing lists and newsletters, and there were some public mailing lists. I mean, back then, I I was predominantly involved in uh, what we now call malware, but what was mostly viruses back then. And there were internet newsletters you could belong to, and there were also private little cabals of antivirus researchers who worked at different companies and, unbeknownst to the marketing people, were actually in contact with each other and (laughs) helping each other, because who else can you talk to about the latest version of the Dark Avenger virus than a, a, another member of the industry. So we, we, well, the nerds kind of got on, so we had private mailing lists. Today, a lot of the mailing lists are a bit quieter. Um, some of it uh, has actually moved over to Twitter. I mean, many security companies now have blogs and they have social media departments. And I spend an awful lot of my time today on Twitter, just uh, following interesting people, seeing what they're talking about, joining discussions there. Um, the other thing I do is because I run my own website and podcast where uh, we, we talk about the latest security threats, uh, I'm lucky enough to have a good number of people who sort of send me tips and will send me emails or drop me a, a direct message on Twitter saying, hey, have you seen this? Or such and such a company has been hacked or can you look into this vulnerability? Um, so the internet although it's complete pain from the computer security point of view, wouldn't it be great if none of our computers were connected? It's also marvellous because it's a great way to share information, the good stuff, to fight the bad stuff. Yeah, that's uh, that's cool. So, like, there's a lot of kind of security companies around um, that that are kind of, I, I would say, almost silos of, of themselves. Mm. And, like, what, what do you think security companies can do to help the industry as a whole, apart from, of course, you know, actually pay security researchers, which some security <laughs> companies, you know, they, they might try and sue other other researchers or something terrible yes. like that. But, yeah. you know, what, what can you do? Naming no names. You know, what, what can security companies do to help the industry? Well, I certainly think uh, supporting your researchers and, and helping the industry as a whole is a, a marvellous thing to do. And one of the ways in which they can do that is by really believing in information exchange. So if you see something, if you've done some research or if you've uncovered something, share it with other people in the industry who may be able to help as well. Because although as security companies we squabble and we're fighting over site licenses and we may be in competition with each other, we are predominantly fighting a battle and a war against the bad guys. You know, we have a common enemy and it shouldn't be each other. And so I love it when computer security researchers work with each other, and we've seen some fantastic examples of this in the past, to share information. The problem is now there is so much, I mean, my background is malware, there's so much malicious software produced. You know, when I started in the antivirus industry, there were 200 new viruses and trojans every single month. (laughs) And people thought, you know, how are you going to keep up (laughs) with that much? And today there's over, let's brand about half a million unique samples every single day, every 24 hours. It's more than two coming out every second. Holy cow. You know, it's, yeah. So so one of the problems is, yes, great to exchange information, but you have to, first of all, you're going to have to automate that, aren't you? You can't do that manually anymore. But also you need to be careful about how much information you're sharing and, and what information, because there's a, there's a real danger of glut and not finding the useful data uh, amongst all the noise. And so that is a challenge. So information exchange, as as a general thing, great to do. Uh, I think also security firms can help by sticking up for users against overreaching 
intelligence agencies and governments and law enforcement, you know, but 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 also work with police to help catch the bad guys. I, I've been fortunate enough to be able to assist in a, in a few investigations over the years. And I know many security companies do work with their local uh, police agencies to catch some of the bad guys. And, you know, we, we, like I said before, you know, they are the real enemy, not, not, not the police. The, it's the criminals who are trying to steal our wallets. And uh, that's one thing they can do. Another thing which maybe uh, would be useful is if more security companies could recognise that we're not all nerds anymore. We're not all wearing sandals and socks and we don't have great big beards. I mean, some of us do. You know, some of us have really impressive beards and facial hair. But most internet users today are just the average Joe on the street and they would never have dreamt that they would have had any good reason to carry a computer around with them 24-7. You know, just a few years ago, maybe 10, 15 years ago, people would have just found that absurd. And yet now every one of us is doing that. So we need to communicate clearly and transparently and make sure that we're not abusing or misusing the information uh, which our customers give us. You know, let's not be evil. Yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of truth in that. One of the things that we've we've always said uh, sort of internally to the company here is that you know, one password or a password manager in general is a tool that everyone on the internet today needs. Yeah, it's not a niche product. This is something everyone needs in one form or another. And I think that, that you're right. Making, taking, taking the steps that we can all take to make that that concept easier to understand and and, and make our approaches more user friendly uh, is certainly something that can that can help educate people and. and you know, keep them safe. And it's it's so frustrating that so many people don't realise how much benefit you can have from running a password manager. Most people are oblivious that these things even exist. Every time I get into a taxi and the conversation starts, well, what do you do, mate, and all this, and I tell them I work in computer security, uh, and we inevitably get to the question of passwords. And I think, what can I do? I've only got, I'm only going to be in this cab for five minutes. What's the piece of advice I can give this person about computer security? And my number one piece of advice is you've got to get yourself a password manager and you have to stop reusing the same password on multiple websites. I was speaking to a journalist earlier today from the BBC and they've never used a password manager, it turned out. It turned out they're reusing it. It's just like, you're a journalist, you know? You've got so much to protect. It's it's like, why has that message not been able to get through to more people? I, I think once people try it and realise how easy it is, they kind of evangelise it, you know, to their friends and family and get them on board as well, which is fantastic. But it's kind of depressing that we're in 2018 and we... we We've we've still got a long way to go, haven't we? Yeah, it's it's one of the reasons I've I've been so happy to see, uh, in particular, Apple over the last with, with some of the mo- more recent software updates and stuff start to help educate people more. I mean, you know, they've got checks now for reused passwords within iCloud Keychain and stuff, and that that can only benefit the, the industry as a whole because now normal people are going to be more aware of what you know what what the implications of this stuff are, or at least start to sit up and pay attention a little bit more that, oh, I shouldn't be doing this. This is this is bad. I'm being told this is bad. And, and I mean, one password is integrated with have I been pwned, haven't you? So yeah, you, you get those great messages now telling you, you know, this password you've chosen has been previously compromised. Maybe you could try something a little bit better. Uh, we are seeing services like Apple ID, for instance, really pushing people to turn on two-factor authentication. Hopefully the message is beginning to get out there a bit more, but I would, you know, 
If they, that's my one wish for 2019, let's see more people embracing password managers. I think it's the best thing you can do. Yeah, I, I won't argue with that whatsoever. <laughs> <laughs> didn't, didn't think you would. <laughs> I want to bring us back to something you touched on a little bit earlier, which was sort of the, the, the concept of uh, security agencies, uh, intelligence agencies, rather, um, you know, talking about backdoors and, and sort of requesting access requesting a way to get into into secure systems. And I, and I kind of want to get your take on that. I'm sure this is a question that you are asked uh, more often than not, but sort of what's the, what are the implications of intelligence agencies having backdoor access to, you know, password manager services or other networks that are supposed to be secure? And, and sort of, you know, what do you think this, how would this impact normal, normal people? Well, I think it's marvellous. I think what a fantastic thing to have intelligence agencies able to see everywhere we go on the internet, every single thing that we order, all of our private community. No, of course it's not. It's horrendous. You know, what? <laughs> but it, what terrifies me about this is this insidious slide where you're felt to be the weird one if you object to this. It's like, it's just little by little, we're creeping to this becoming the acceptable norm. And it shouldn't be. I mean, the amount of data being collected about our internet usage, our relationships, our everyday lives is is utterly startling, really, isn't it? We, we seem to prepare to give away so much freedom and liberty for maybe a, a tiny, tiny amount of additional Security. I mean, that, that's often the argument that's used is that, well, we're going to use this to stop the drug barons and stop the terrorists. And But what we lose as a society due to that happening is huge. And I, I, I take a view which may not be terribly popular with the tabloid newspapers, which is, you know what? I mean, it's obviously horrific when people's lives are destroyed by terrorism and so forth, but maybe a little bit of that sometimes is the price we have to pay for our freedom and liberty it's like because once we've given away freedom and liberty what have we got left um so i i i do find it quite objectionable and quite worrying you know time and time again this is one of the challenges we see corporations and yes even governments losing control of the data so if they're collecting all this information if they have a back door into spying on our communications what's to say that other governments and other intelligence agencies couldn't use that as well to spy on corporations, to spy on politicians or spy on the average guy in the street. I mean, I'm not surprised that we're seeing amongst the nerds, at least, uh, adoption of more sort of end-to-end encrypted messaging services, uh, which aren't dancing to the tune of law enforcement and what maybe they would like us to do. Sure. it. You know, it's. I think that when when this conversation is brought up to to people... Uh, who are not necessarily in the, in the industry. It's a very abstract topic. Mm, yes. It's not something concrete. But I think that if you ask them the question, what if what if all of the the <clears throat> police agencies or and I, and I, I want to make sure we're not making law enforcement out to be the yeah. bad guy. This is more just a, a discussion of civil liberties. What if you know, what if everyone had a master key that could they could get into any lock mm. to get into your house at any time to go through your stuff? any any time they want there's just a master key that opens every lock in your in your town is that something that you would be comfortable with existing or yeah. or not and then sort of put it in more concrete terms and i think that it would sort of start to orient the conversation around why why it's not a good idea and what could go wrong with that when it's when it's something abstract uh like encryption sort of backdoor access to information like that 
I'm not sure that everyone can sort of put it in those concrete terms. Yeah, it's, it, you know, I think most people are worried about more sort of day-to-day affairs and some of these more serious issues and concepts sort of slide by them, don't they? What What do you think are the most interesting security products that are that are coming out at the moment? A lot of security companies love you to focus on the new technology and the new products and, and, and those sort of things and the bells and whistles. I think that's a mistake. I think we should be focusing less on the technology and much, much more on the people. I th- it's, it's a bit of a cliche that people are the weakest link. But, you know, we can't patch people. We can't roll out an update like we can across the network to our users. And users keep on making mistakes or they're ill-informed or they haven't been properly uh, trained as to how to properly protect themselves and defend their data. And that almost always is the reason why a breach occurs. There's been some kind of human error. Maybe systems weren't patched because someone decided the patch wasn't important. Maybe someone chose a dumb password or they reused a password or they left the access rights open so the hackers were just able to wander straight in and and steal the data. So I would like to see more companies actually addressing this human issue rather than trying to sell you something in a box. So doing more to educate, doing more to train, uh, because the security problem is predominantly a flesh-based one. You know, tr- trying to fix that, I think, would help a lot. Yeah, that's really interesting. And, and you know, I, I think as a, you know, as one password, we try and do everything that we can to educate mm. and, and, and kind of educate at every level. What we find difficult is really reaching the the everyday person on the street that perhaps, you know, they have five passwords and they have, you know, 20 sites. They don't feel like they need to manage that. Yeah. Yeah, it's a, it's a constant challenge. And I, I think, I, I hope, like you say, 2019 brings, brings around some really interesting kind of uh, societal changes where we, where we start to realise that, you know, on, online security is for everyone. Well, the good news for you guys is that the data breaches aren't going to stop. The hacks are going to keep on happening. And uh, people will sadly have their identities compromised because they've reused passwords. And they will continue to hear in the news and on the bulletins and so forth that the problem was down to reused passwords. And if you hadn't reused your password, then at least the damage was limited in terms of what the hackers could do. And we've also seen, for instance, uh, Apple recently pushed out iOS 12, didn't they? which has fantastic integration with the likes of 1Password, making it much easier to integrate it into the flow of uh, entering your passwords auto-magically, as I like to call it, uh, to, to log into sites. Um, so there's that little bit less friction involved. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, if people are listening to this podcast, go and tell your friends and family, you know, if you are already sold on the the benefits of password managers. You need to go and tell five other people today and try and get them to switch as well. And once they try it, they find it's not actually that difficult and they can feel terribly smug next time a big hack happens because they'll know that their other accounts can't be compromised as a result. I love that. Awesome. Thank you. Uh, thank you so much for coming on the show. It's my pleasure, guys. So that's great. Uh, thank, thanks a lot to Graham for coming on. So, uh, yeah, talking to Graham was great. That was a lot of fun. Uh, we actually have a question from our listener. From our listener. I'm saying that singular, but I think we have more than one. Singular listener. But we do have a singular question. Uh, so, Tobiah on Twitter uh, uses the, the hashtag AskOnePassword. In a previous episode, you briefly touched on VPNs, basically suggesting that using any VPN is always better than not using one. Would you mind expanding a bit more on that? Also, is there one or more VPNs you feel comfortable recommending at this time? 
If yes, why? This is always a very nuanced conversation because I feel like there are levels, right? As as with any security, there are like there are good and there are bad, and then there are better, and then there are better than that, and then there are better than that, right? So there are some VPNs that are great along every every angle, apart from say they'll email you a load, right? Everybody's signed up to these guys. I, I, I won't name any names. But like, you know, they, they win in all of the, yeah, we don't log and look, we can prove it. We have a load of locations and, oh, we're a company in, in one of the places that, you know, is a country that's small enough that they don't fight with the big guys and, you know, that, that kind of stuff. Uh, but then they email you like loads of marketing and, and won't stop even when you unsubscribe. So I feel like what you're protecting yourself against with with Wi-Fi is not every threat, right? It's not the fact that the government are hunting you. It's not the fact that everybody is trying to snoop on your traffic or anything like that. It's really just protecting against public Wi-Fi and and a couple of other instances. Yeah, and even even the protection against public Wi-Fi is starting to become less of an issue these days as more and more services are, are moving towards you know everything going over HTTPS. Uh, if everything is, trans- is is being transferred securely, the VPN doesn't help you a whole lot. But I kind of look at VPN as, as a safety net in the situations where it's not, where it'll it'll save you in those cases where some information is maybe transmitted plain text that shouldn't be, and someone else that's sitting in the coffee shop with you is is snooping snooping your traffic. Yeah, and I feel as soon as you bring this conversation up, people will be like, ah, but I run my own, <laughs> which is always a brilliant stance to take on, on everything. <laughs> oh, I, I don't trust those car manufacturers. I like my roller skates that I built myself. <laughs> <laughs> like, it's it always strikes me as, you know, you, you can go multiple levels kind of deeper with this. If you, if you Google, there are certain VPN companies that are based in good neutral countries and don't have logs and can prove that they don't have logs. Um, I will add some links in the show notes to, you know, a few comparison sites of them. They probably have affiliate links, so just beware of that. You know, the the other level deep is, is something called a multi-hop VPN, which basically uh, you connect to and then it hops your traffic um, around multiple places, which obviously, you know, makes it harder for you to appear in any one location or, you know, your data to be taken by any one person on the other end. Because uh, there's basically it, it involves multiple servers and multiple IP addresses. Oh, that's very interesting. That's neat. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, advice like this always comes with a, you know, do a bit of research, but then, you know, make a decision quickly. Because I don't know if anybody's anything like me, you can you can sit and look at these things for hours and days. You know, when, when I'm buying a new, like, I don't know, camera or something, I, I don't really need all the features. But man, I will consider every single feature. <laughs> oh, yeah, absolutely. Because and then inevitably, like, it doesn't matter. You can do all the research you want. The day after it arrives, you have immediate buyer's remorse (laughs) all right matt we have a place name this week from a listener and the listener uh kyle breeden has actually messaged me the pronunciation guide which means that i don't have to embarrass myself this week and i get to listen to you do it instead so uh kyle sent this in also through the hashtag ask one password uh as in ask one password how would you pronounce this this place name also, this is a this is a place deep in the heart of Texas, Matt. How would you say this? Uh, so this is you know, this is 
Anna Huak. Anna Huak. Anna Huak, yeah. Anna Huak, yeah. Um, no, it's not. It's not that at all. It's it's Anna Wack, actually. Wack spelled H-U-A-C. You know, like the classic Wack. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So, you, yeah, I mean, I can see where you went with that. You, I mean, if you look at, like, the beginning of the word guacamole, that's G-U-A-C. So this could have been uh, Anna Huak. You could have said Anna Huak. Um, equally wrong. Possibly better. But, uh, no, Anna Wack. Oh, gosh. All right, Matt. Well, listen, um, we, folks should feel free to send us place names like this. This is great. I love that we're getting more place names than questions. <laughs> like, like this is our speciality of, of bad pronunciation than uh, than security. <laughs> I'm, I'm also surprised that we haven't gotten more requests to stop doing place names uh, because... <laughs> I, I don't I don't know how much it's it, people actually like it. I, I think we've got two more episodes in this series and they are both uh, taken up by listener place names. So oh, all right. I, I, th- I think people do enjoy it. All but, right. You know, I think uh, we've got some good work ahead of us to, to come up with a, a different bit in season two. I think that that would be good. I think that we should come up with a little different closer. You know, something equally as fun, though, because this is this is dumb and it's fun. And I think that if we can hit those two points, that we'll be having some success. All right, Rue. I will uh, talk to you next week. All right, love you, Matt. Love you, Rue. <laughs>